0: Uh, You know, we are in the middle of uh, a series, we have been in the middle of a series, now we're at the end of a series that we've entitled Unseen. And uh, uh, it revolves around the reality that we live in a physical world, right, the stuff that we can touch, taste, see, smell, the, the things that are here, present in our reality, and we also live, maybe more importantly, in a spiritual world. Things unseen are going on around us at all times and the temptation exists within the church of Christ and in our culture abundantly for us to simply discard the spiritual things and to rather focus on the pressures and the reality and the situations that are tangible, that we touch, that we feel very intimately, that we know exist right here, right now. The temptation for us to close our eyes to the spiritual needs around us, to the spiritual condition of our hearts and our neighbor's hearts and our families' hearts, and to instead focus on the reality in front of us, right? The, the, the real stuff, the dollars and cents, the physical reality. The serious question that we've been asking is, what do you see? What do your eyes see? And the prayer, again, that we've been praying together is, Lord, would you open our eyes to the things unseen. And, and the, the, the bulk of our passage of Scripture, the, the storyline that uh, invokes this idea of the things unseen comes from, again, 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha and his servant. And I won't read the entire passage again this morning, but you realize what's going on in this situation. The servant of, of God's prophet awakes in the morning and he steps out to have his first cup of coffee on the balcony and he looks over and he sees an army amassed against Elisha and the people of God. A physical army is present from the, uh, the, the incoming army and uh, they are there not to uh, make a, a treaty together. They're there to destroy elisha and god's people and this servant of elisha is a little bit nervous to say the least especially maybe as he sees elisha uh, pouring his first cup of coffee i don't know if we can read between the lines that much but elisha is standing there and maybe he's uh, as we interpret scripture he's calm as a cucumber right but his servant not so much in 2nd Kings chapter 6. Look at these verses real quickly. 2nd Kings chapter 6 again verse 15 says, when the servant of the man of God, that's Elisha's servant, got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. They were overwhelmed at the other army. And Elisha's servant says, Oh, sir, what will we do now? And really quickly, uh, a Hebrew, the original language study, uh, what that really means, what this young man is crying out to Elisha is, Ah! You awake? The young man cries out to Elisha, and Elisha, this man of God, prophet of the Lord, one who sees the unseen, says, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than on theirs. And then Elisha prays this, O Lord, open his eyes, let him see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. I want you to remember, this is not a projection. This wasn't a a projector that was set up and, and shooting an image for this man to calm down. This wasn't another physical representation. This wasn't real people. This is God's army, God's surrounding ability. And again, I want to encourage you again this morning as we round out this series, Hyde Wesleyan Church, there are more on our side. Greater is he that is in us. He is the strength you can rely on today. He is able. There are more on our side than on theirs and again let me remind you the battle is real there is a battle for the souls of men and women we've talked about this in depth the enemy is not seeking to be your buddy the enemy's job satan's job his whole time spent is to destroy the lives of those who would possibly turn to the grace offered through jesus christ alone The enemy is seeking, literally, to destroy us. That's his only purpose. His only desire is to keep us from inheriting what is ours. And and the Apostle Paul in the New Testament understood this battle, right? We've been talking, and for the last three weeks specifically, we've been talking about the Apostle Paul's passage that he writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6. And we've come to know this passage as the full armor of God passage. And we talk about it and we we, we think about these illustrations that Paul is encouraging these early Christians to put on some armor because there's a battle being waged for their hearts and souls. So, Paul, as we see throughout much of the New Testament, is encouraging Christians to do battle. He's encouraging these early Christians to be prepared remember again in this passage Paul is in chains he's imprisoned as he writes or dictates the letter to the church at Ephesus so this morning again let's look at Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 17 and hear these words from God's word Paul writes this way inspired by God's Holy Spirit in verse 10 a final word be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand... Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And for the last two weeks specifically, we've unpacked two of these armor pieces, right? uh, Two weeks ago, we uh, jumped into this idea, the reality of the armor of God, and specifically, well, we talked two weeks ago about the helmet, right? We talked specifically how a Roman soldier, Paul is seeing this reality in front of him. He's using what's uh, uh, illustrated in reality around him, and he, he reminds these early Christians, just like a Roman soldier puts on his helmet to prepare for battle, so should we, because our minds are under attack by the enemy maybe you don't want to say amen there but the enemy is seeking to destroy us from within our minds to get us to doubt the truth that we know to get us to a uh, supplement or decide that we're going to possibly just lessen god's truth for our life The enemy would seek, if we are not diligent, vigilant, to put on our helmets, the enemy will seek to distort our thinking in our minds. Because the enemy wants you and me to quit on God's truth and supplement whatever is common around us. Likewise, last week we talked specifically about putting our pads on. Remember? The breastplate of righteousness that our hearts are under attack, that the enemy knows a way into... A human being is through their heart. The Bible's clear about the deceitfulness of the human heart, how in ourselves we are rotten to the core, right? Our nature is a corrupted heart. Thank God for grace that cleanses and makes us pure. So the Scripture in Ephesians reminds us to put on our pads, to put on our football pads, to protect our vitals, our hearts, our hearts, the world would say seek your own heart find your your own version of righteousness know what's right for you do you hear the language have you heard it this week the enemy would get us to rebel against God's righteousness but the armor of God's breastplate of righteousness teaches us to revel in God's righteousness. This morning we're going to wrap up this series and if you're like me you, you, you've you've read this passage of scripture and you're wondering maybe if we're wrapping up the series which which part of the armor which part of the Roman soldier's kit is Pastor Steven going to talk to us about and there's a couple great options right. How about the 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 belt of truth. Everybody knows the importance of a belt except perhaps plumbers. <laughs> my parents are in this room right now and I just said that. And actually a a former plumber is on the back row and I just put that together. (laughs) Oh boy. He didn't get up and leave. Thank you. We know the importance of what a belt does, right? It holds us together. It keeps us tidy. It allows us to attach some things. If we talk about Batman's belt, he's got some uh, accessories. If he's got a belt, a Roman soldier, likewise, as the Apostle Paul is illustrating this reality. We as Christians can put on our, our belt. It holds us together. The truth, the belt of truth. The shield of faith is another wonderful aspect of the armor of God. That uh, many messages have been preached about the shield of faith, and we know the benefit of, of a shield for a soldier or Captain America, right? We know the, the importance of a shield. We know uh, how much a, a shield protects us from the enemy. We, we we love the idea of hiding behind something that's stronger than our own skin and being protected from the enemy's attacks. A shield is a safe haven, a hiding place. A great defense, a buffer, to block those fiery arrows, as Paul illustrates specifically. Maybe this morning you're hoping I'm going to talk about the sword of the Spirit, Paul says, which is the Word of God. Perhaps the only offensive weapon, the only offense that Paul uh, describes here may be this sword of the spirit god's word for us this is i have to be honest probably my most favorite part of a roman soldier's kit and for us together god's word as the source of our attack back at the enemy a defense and an offense i would love to have a sword to make a sword wouldn't it be awesome to me? you ever watch history channels forged in fire anybody else watch that Wow, a lot of ladies, that's awesome. We, ladies, let's start, a, let's start a Forged in Fire club. There's like no guys that raise their hands. It's because you're out making swords. I, I don't know what it is. I, when I watch an episode of Forged in Fire, there's something inside of me that I'm like sitting there on the couch, I'm getting waved at. Oh yeah, thank you, thank you, Jim. You're not leaving, you're telling me that you watch that show. Thank you, Jim. Brothers, unite. Let's go make a sword. Anyway, I watch an episode of Forged in Fire and something inside of me says, go outside and heat up steel and beat it into submission with a hammer. There's something fantastic about that. There's something awesome about a sword that as I am imagining what it is to do battle, I want... I want a weapon in my own hand. And again, we know we must live out the reality, the fact that God's Word is absolutely vital. It is paramount to us being protected from the enemy's attacks. In, in this regard, Jesus Himself, uh, we, we love to t- turn back to Luke's Gospel, and we love to look at uh, Luke chapter 4, where Jesus is interacting with the devil. Satan himself is trying to scheme against our Lord Jesus. And each of the attempts, Jesus meets the devil with the word of God and rebukes him with God's word so the belt the shield and the sword these are three great vital necessary pieces of armor that we are challenged every day to put on as we prepare and enter into battle but there's a sixth piece of armor possibly it's less talked about lesser known lesser highlighted less impressive in some regards less remarkable but look back, I want to read it again, Ephesians chapter 6. There's a recurring theme that Paul uses here to illustrate the importance of a piece of the Roman soldier's kit and the armor that we have. Again, verse 10, Ephesians chapter 6. A final word, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood, Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. And verse 15, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Can you see Paul imagining these words of encouragement to early Christians and he's looking over at a Roman soldier and he realizes the importance of a Roman soldier's sandals? Talk about lesser remarkable. Talk about kind of a no-brainer, kind of a, a thing that maybe we shouldn't even talk about. But here, Paul says, with your feet fitted, with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, Paul is telling us all about Dr. Scholz's fitted sandals and the importance of them. Paul is reiterating the obvious of what a soldier does. His feet Her feet will take them where they need to go, where they will go. Our will, our action, our motivation, our drive, our resolve, it is under attack. The enemy knows that the way for him to slow or demise any soldier of the Lord is to take out our feet. Do you know how important your feet are? I, I'm, I'm Stevin. Hi. I'm Stevin. I'm Pastor Stevin, but I'm also Stevin, protector of the location at 1511 Village Road. That's our house. I am the protector of my family. I don't know how you protect your family, but at three o'clock in the morning, I'm not very good at protecting my family. If there's a sound that creeps in, and if Jess won't wake up and go check on it, I have to. <laughs> So I'm Steven and at three o'clock in the morning, I'm still the protector of my family and our property. And I, I, I do some things. I'm not very well dressed at three o'clock in the morning to protect my home. Don't imagine that too long. Okay. <laughs> I'm not very ready. I've got sleep in my eyes. I would rather be snoring than protecting my home at three o'clock in the morning. Anybody else? Only Ed Gray is like three o'clock in the morning. I've been up for three hours, Steven. 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm not very prepared. And do you want to know what happens at 3 o'clock in the morning in our house when something, uh, something goes bump in the night? And again, Jess doesn't get up, so I have to. There's one thing in our household, we have kids, there's one thing in our life that can stop me dead in my tracks and cause me to not be an excellent protector for my family at 3 o'clock in the morning in the complete darkness of a house that I don't yet fully understand. It's not a faulty alarm system. It's not a dead flashlight next to my nightstand. It's not a faulty alarm. It's not a a door that was supposed to be closed, that was left open. It's something far more menacing. It has four letters. L E G O. (laughs) Do you know what these are? <laughs> these are of the enemy. <laughs> Legos, in the middle of the night, left to their own attack. What good am I? One Lego or a pile of Legos. What good am I at 3 o'clock in the morning if uh, someone is trying to come into my house and I'm doing this? Oh, just wait. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Do you know how important our feet are? Uh, just this morning, Pastor Angel came in uh, while I was finishing going through my notes one last time this morning. And she, I, I saw she came to the door and she was kind of walking weird. And I thought she was just being cool. Uh, it turns out, uh, I, she's starting to tell me the story. And I was like, this is amazing. This is going to fit the illustration perfectly. She must have stepped on Legos in the middle of the night. Way to go, Jack. I, I didn't even tell him to do it. It wasn't Legos in the scribe household in the middle of the the morning this morning. It was actually Jack's cell phone charger. So pray for Angel. She's got two puncture wounds in the bottom of her foot. I'm going to give her a tetanus shot after church. (laughs) I'm of no use as a protector of my home in the middle of the night if I'm screaming while hopping on one foot, reeling from the pain of a Lego firmly embedded in the bottom of my foot. Similarly, a Roman soldier... Paul identifies this reality as of no use to his battalion, to his army, to his commanding officer if his feet aren't prepared for battle. A soldier in Paul's day didn't have a cargo plane or a helicopter to jump in and take a ride to the battle, right? A soldier had miles to travel had rough terrain to cross, had miles to go, day or night, even before entering into the battle. A Roman soldier understood the difficulty of tough terrain, miles of a day or a night. Sandals, in a soldier's understanding, were of an absolute necessity, a no-brainer. The feet of a soldier were necessary to protect. Likewise, even in our own nation's history, do you remember learning some things about feet? From the Revolutionary War, I did some research and reread some historical accounts this past week, and I pulled this quote from a historical account about the Revolutionary War. Listen to this quote: When their shoes did give way, the men, the soldiers, continued to march on bare, bleeding feet. A, a division commander reported to General George Washington that, that half of his men were quote walking barefooted on the ice or frozen ground. That's how Private Martin would remember the march years later when he would say the army was not only starved but naked he wrote the great part greatest part were not only shirtless and barefoot but destitute of all other clothing especially blankets when Martin's own shoes gave out he found a chunk of raw cowhide and made for himself a pair of moccasins he says which kept my feet While they lasted from the frozen ground, although, as I well remember, the hard edges so galled my ankles while on a march that it was with much difficulty and pain that I could wear them afterwards. The only alternative I had, he writes, was to endure this inconvenience or to go barefoot, as hundreds of my companions had to, till they might be tracked by their blood upon the rough, frozen ground. The feet of a soldier are of absolute importance to have covering. As we interpret this passage of Scripture, fitted coverings, fitted shoes, ready for battle. How does this translate to you and to me as soldiers in the Lord's army preparing for and engaging in a real battle that is being waged for our souls? Let me put it this way. The enemy, the enemy's attack would be for you and to me to have bare feet. The enemy wants nothing more than for you and for me to be unprepared for whatever battle it is we may face in this life. Bare feet would cause us, no-brainer, to, uh, to, to weakly stumble around like we don't know what we're doing. If the enemy can remove your will to take a stand, he will win. If the enemy can simply cause us to be unprepared for whatever it is, whatever terrain, whatever battle we are making our way to, he earns a star. Put it this way, the enemy wants nothing more than for you and me to be barefoot at 3 a.m. with a minefield of Lego in front of us. The enemy wants you and me to be barefoot in January with three feet of snow and ice on the ground. The enemy wants you and me to be barefoot and unable to stand when crushing news comes back from the doctor about our test results. Unable to take a stand. The enemy wants you and me to be barefoot, ready to throw up your hands of surrender when hidden truth is revealed in your marriage and things aren't as they should be. The enemy wants you and me to be barefoot, unprepared for battle, when your boss steps in and says, the company's going a different direction, and your job is on the line. That's what the enemy wants. For you and me, for children of the Most High God, to admit defeat, because we're unprepared for the battle that's being waged. Maybe for us to admit defeat before any real battle has even begun. The, the journey to and through the battle is long. If we're barefoot, if we're barefoot, how can we hold up a shield? If we're barefoot, if our legs are cut out from under us, if we're laying down, how, how can we hold up a, a sword? How, how can we put on a helmet if we're laying on the ground and the enemy is attacking us while we're on the ground? God's armor, if the enemy's attack is to cause us to have bare feet in this world. God's armor is shoes that fit. Shoes that fit. Maybe you need to envision it as cleats. Football cleats helping us to take a stand, right? Maybe it's hiking boots or cowboy boots or Converse All-Stars. Whatever it is, God wants and offers us feet fitted with the gospel of peace. Removing our will, our desire, and instead surrendering to His. Acknowledging where we will go and what we will do according to His strength, His ability, His leading. Do you love new shoes? Do you love opening a fresh box of shoes? I love new shoes, but I love even more the fact that Amazon delivers them to my doorstep. I hated shoe shopping as a kid. I hate shoe shopping as an adult. I would much rather go into my Amazon history and find the last pair of shoes that I ordered and just reorder them. Anybody else? Okay, I'm alone. I love opening up a new box of shoes. I love uh, what shoes mean for daily life. I love being able to lace up new sneakers. I love that feeling of fresh insoles that haven't had too many years of stink. We know in the physical world the importance of shoes on our feet and the way that they protect us. This morning, just as we are finishing, let's look at two things that we can do with the fitted shoes that God offers us in the armor that He gives us. The first thing we can do with fitted shoes is take a stand. Take a stand. We hear this language used a lot in our culture, but I want you to hear... Church of Jesus Christ. Every day, all day, the enemy will seek to find a way to get you to keep quiet when you're supposed to speak up. To get you to turn your head and your gaze when you know injustice is real and prevalent. The enemy will do whatever it takes to get us... To be distracted in such a way that we will not take a stand therefore the gift of the armor of god in the fitted shoes helps us to take a stand to know the truth about who christ is and what he offers us to present that truth to a world that is literally we talk about this all the time literally dying without hope for their tomorrow Again, the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, perhaps some of the strongest statements in all of Scripture about the nature of Christ. The truth of why it is we're even here this morning. Maybe you don't know why you're here this morning. I want you to hear why we are gathered in this place. Hear this, Colossians chapter 1. This is all about Jesus and why it is we surrender every day to His will and His way. Listen to this, Christ. Verse 15, Colossians chapter 1. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he. Holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who will rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Hear that again. He is first in everything. He is number one. He is central. He is the reason we do anything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through Him, God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Good news, verse 21, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were His enemies, separated by your DNA, by your bent towards evil, separated from Him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now... He has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body, and as a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Verse 23 reminds us of the ways in which we take off our shoes. Paul says it this way you must continue to believe this truth. Stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. Stand firm. Don't drift away. Hold fast. Take a stand. Do you hear Paul reiterating it again? hold fast put on your shoes lace them up tighten up your laces don't drift take a stand stand firm stand the truth stand on the truth know your foundation stand your ground maybe that's the encouragement someone needs this morning i think it's easy to find ourselves barefoot or with loose laces the theological term for loose laces is wishy-washy it's a big word right God's Word reminds us not to neglect the truth, but rather to take a stand, to know what we know, to stand firm upon God's Word as our foundation, to not allow the enemy to find us sitting on a bench, airing out our feet. Secondly, quickly, not only do our fitted shoes enable us to take a stand, but they can also enable us to take more ground. I love this part. This is is so encouraging, I believe, to us as Christians today, that not only do the the feet allow us to dig in and take a stand and uh, be defensive in our posture, but also shoes, firmly fitted, maybe cleats this morning, help us to advance the gospel. Paul asked the Ephesians to pray for him this way, immediately following the passage on the full armor of God. In uh, verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 6, Paul continues in this way. He says, pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And also pray for me, he says. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for the Jew and the Gentile alike. Verse 20 I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador so pray pray that i would keep on speaking boldly for him as i should do you hear paul's resolve here his will to continue on there's no there's no sense of paul even in chains bowing out respectfully he's done a lot But he knows there's work to be done. There are those in his presence that have not yet heard the good news. He's asking for prayer that he would know exactly how to revolve his words in such a way that some would come to faith in Christ. Paul's resolve, even amidst the real life battle of being in chains for the gospel, shows us that he's not done. He's not ready to retire. He's not ready to call it a day. He knows there's work to be done. For us the call continues with feet fitted with readiness with the gospel of peace there is work to be done and I want you to hear there exists within the church a common misconception let's call it what it is it's a false theology there's a false theology that exists within the church that says something along these lines oh this is just the area that I struggle. This is just my, my thing, Pastor. This is, this is something I'll just never get right. I can't tell you how many conversations I have that way. Of people who say, and we're all prone to it, th- this idea that, oh, no, this is, just, this is just my thing. Just let me go. This is where I'm going to struggle for the rest of my life. This is, the, this is that area. This is my thorn in the, in the flesh. I want you to know with feet fitted with the gospel of peace. We not only can take a stand and defend against the enemy, we can fight back against them. Three people believe that in this room. (laughs) It's so common, guys. We use language that says, oh, this is just who I am. You don't know... You don't know, how how tough it is in my job or my family. You're right. But can I remind you of who gives you the armor? Who is willing to fit you with shoes ready for action, ready for battle, ready to progress, ready to take advantage, ready to pursue his righteousness. We, we talk a lot about being on the, the winning side, right? That we're on, the, we're on God's side, we're on the winning side. Can I say it this way? We're not simply on the less losing side. We're not simply on the, the, the B team that doesn't lose as bad. We're on the winning side. The God who created all things has given you and me tools for us to put on to wreck the enemy's plans. We don't have to give in. You don't have to give in. Maybe that's what you need to hear this morning. Take a stand. And then take more ground. There's work to be done in our own lives in our church, in our neighborhoods, in our community? Do you sense it? We don't have to just build walls around our hearts and protect ourselves. We don't have to simply build walls around our faith and try to protect what we know to be truth. Instead, this truth revolutionizes everything. This hope that we have in Jesus Christ alone is not just good news for those of us who have heard it. This armor available is for your family member who doesn't yet know about it. For your neighbor who you think doesn't even care about it. The power, the strength that we have been given access to is insurmountable our God is greater our God is stronger God you are higher than any other it's not just words we put on a screen and sing to music it's who we who we are as followers of Christ it's what we know to be true will you stand with me as we close Let me pray. Lord, again I pray that we, your people, would be given eyes to see the unseen. We're not praying for a miraculous glimpse behind the curtain. But rather, Lord, we're praying for the ability to see the reality around us. The battle for our souls. The the ways in which the enemy is scheming every day, all day with his demons of darkness to destroy us. We're praying for eyes to see this reality for our own hearts and our own souls. And the same for our neighbor and our family members, our loved ones those who are far from you and we rebuke the enemy's attack in jesus name lord i pray for god's people here together this morning that you would give us the strength and the courage to put our helmets on thank you for the gift of the helmet reminder that our our minds are under attack. The enemy would seek to get us to doubt. Lord, I pray that we would stand firm and know the truth. Help us to guard our minds. Help us to guard our hearts. In a world that says look within and trust yourself, Lord, help us to understand the truth that we can't. And instead to bask in to bathe in your rightness your righteousness would we hunger and thirst after it we pray and lord today help us to lace up to put on the shoes you provide to take a stand to know what we know to stand firm upon the truth of christ jesus our lord And God to continue the work, to advance, to move forward. We acknowledge that we are not simply on a less losing side, but we are on the side of grace, hope, and righteousness. Lord, would you help us to sense your strength in our weaknesses? Would you help us to tap into your strength? In our imperfect attempts, would you fit us, Lord, with the full armor each and every day? And would you go with us and continue to pour your grace upon your people, our community, and the world? Thank you. Thank you for the protection you offer. Thank you for the tools. The ways in which, Lord, you are enabling us to take a stand. We pray your blessing today and every day. And God's people said together, Amen. God bless you.